Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. So today we're talking with John Zogby, who is the senior partner, partner at John Zogby Strategies. Welcome, John. Hi, how are you, Tina? I'm good. So I wanted to bring you in to talk about uh, polling today. I want to go through some basics on polling. And then I also want to cut through some of the um, theories surrounding exit polling, why they're good, why they're bad, should they be trusted, etc. So to start off, um, I wanted to ask you, I was always taught in school that a decent margin of error was plus or minus 3%, that anything beyond that was was not good because you're going to lose your confidence level, and that um, it meant you had a small sample size. But as you know, in, in a lot of the polling now, we see much larger margins of error, and because they have a large margin of error, we have to see uh, more weighting being done for the demographics. What is your take on that? Well, you, you know, the size of the sample, of course, is, um, you know, is the primary variable for, for uh, sample error. Yeah. And generally, then it comes down to, number one, how accurate do you have to be? Uh, number two, how important is it to assess subgroups? If you have a diverse uh, universe, a uh, state or nation or even a city. Right. And then thirdly, it's budget and a budget consideration. How much uh, do you really have to spend? So to be sure, a margin of error of plus or minus three is good, but that doesn't mean that a, a sampling error of five or four is necessarily bad. Okay. Perhaps it's not even a, a close race or perhaps um, uh, uh, Iowa, which is hardly diverse at all, is much different than, say, uh, metropolitan New York right. or uh, a state where diversity really matters. And so th those all three of those variables are important. Right. So to get a, a decent sample size, I think folks need to also realize that it takes a lot of if you're doing a phone poll, for example, you're calling folks on the phone to get a sample of 1300 people. You would probably have to call what, 20, 25,000. It could be that much. Yeah, it could be that much uh, dials. I started in this business in 1984. Uh, pretty much everyone had a landline and the culture was that generally there was somebody home, yeah. you know, even during the day, but you know, you uh, certainly at dinner time. So I can remember the days when response rates were 65%. Every three people you reached on the phone two said, yeah, okay, I'll take the survey here and there. You'd hear, Shh, I'm on the phone. Yeah. Somebody's asking me some <laughs> important questions. So that's how far back I go. Response rates have changed. There are more women and household members in the workforce. Yeah. There are more junk calls. There are more screening machines. 1984, there weren't even answering machines in, in the market. And generally speaking, it, it became the thing to do to screen your calls right. and not answer the phone. So we've seen them plummet response rates from 65% to even at the height of a presidential election, 18%, wow. 16%. Some metropolitan areas, Southern California, got greater New York, Chicago, 6% response rates. So you're talking about a lot of dialing to get yeah. your sample size. 
Yeah, so that's a problem. Uh, so which which would make sense why you where I know you've been doing online polling. Um, yes. YouGov Economist does online polling. So what is your response to folks that criticize online polling, saying that you can't get the proper demographics? I think if um, if you if you if you get a decent sample size in the sense that people are saying what their gender, their race, all this stuff is. Now, uh, granted, you have to assume that they're being honest about that, and there's a chance that they're not being honest about that. But having said that, that's also the case if you're calling people on the phone, right? There's a certain point sure where is. you just have to trust their self-identification is what it is. So what do you well, say to folks sure. that have criticism for that? Well, you know, tongue-in-cheek, we have a famous example at Zogby International where uh, our, our interviewer uh, said, oh, hello, is your mommy home? And it was a 45-year-old man on the telephone. Um, <laughs> Uh, an honest mistake, I suppose. So, look, the the thing is, we had the same debate when we moved from the very ungainly face-to-face polling, yeah. you know, that was so expensive and cumbersome, to the telephone and then telephone to online. But the fact of the matter is, uh, online at home penetration in the United States today is almost where um landline telephone penetration was 25 years ago right and and so you have a universality there uh people of all age groups and minorities and so on are, are facile with online. uh online and uh we have been able to generate uh huge lists 15 16 17 million people Wow. with email addresses uh, who are representative of the nation, who, as you pointed out in your question, have data points. Yeah, We've already gotten you know, the, their age, their race, their gender, uh, the part of the country that they're from, and so on. And so it, when it comes to our doing a typical sample of 1,000 or 1,500, we will draw a random sampling okay. of maybe 10,000 emails from that uh, giant list. And I have to tell you, demographically, we get a better representation of young and old, uh, people of color and, and, and whites region. We get a better distribution of our sample than we do with the telephone these days. You know, that actually makes sense to me. Uh, so the criticism I've often heard, and I think Nate Silver even made this criticism, and I don't think he's necessarily right on this, was that you are self-selecting for younger folks if you do online polling because the older generations aren't online. And I don't think that's the case. Uh, it is not the case at all. Okay. It is, it is absolutely unequivocally not the case. In fact, on, uh, younger people uh, have online access, but culturally are less likely to take surveys. Right. And so we do have to um, uh, oversample young people to get them to be representative of their numbers. I see. That's interesting. So um, let me ask you this. How often do you find yourself weighting the data even with that occurring? So just to explain that to folks that don't really understand why that's the case. So we have our sample size, right, which is our poll group. And then we have the general population that we're trying to mirror. The idea is we want to make sure that our sample size fits demographically with the actual population. 
So if, if say, for example, the, um, the actual population has 8% African-American and you only get 2% in your sample, you have to weight that to more reflect the 8%. How often do you have to do that with your online polling? Um, we generally, we have always had to apply some kind of weight somewhere. Okay. And so uh, that's important to note. You do normally get an underrepresentation of right. younger people and of African Americans and, and Latinos. Now, with that said, in the example that you used, um, if we need 8% African Americans and we get 2%, in our raw sample, then that's not good enough. Right. We have to have, you know, at least four or five percent African Americans to get it to eight. Because, look, yeah. you know, in a, we may have three African Americans from Nebraska. Right. Show up that can throw off uh, that small, relatively small population, um, and so yeah, a lot of care is taken in. I'm not going to get too technical in stratifying the sample right. to ensure something doesn't happen as drastically as that. You know, and that tells me you're conducting a good poll because uh, my worry is always this. If you have such a small sample size, the 2%, right? That means you talk to so few of these folks and no group is monolithic in its beliefs. Right. And when you whittle a group down that small, so that's like saying I spoke to two African-Americans and they represent the entire context of opinion that occurs within that community, which is completely impossible. So you're already starting from a point where you're going to have an inaccurate uh, assumption reading into that. So I'm glad that you're saying 4% minimum because that I'm going to clarify that a little bit okay. if I could. In the early days of, of robo polling, mm -hmm. we, t we tested uh, some vendors, some, some companies, and we did a, a test poll in Ohio. And the overall results were not so bad. But when we looked at the sample of the 66 folks who were African American, 23 were Republican. Oh, well, yeah. that's not African-Americans in Ohio. That's not really African-Americans right. anywhere. And so we went back to the company and we said, we need you to simply call African-Americans so we get a larger sample and a right. more representative one. They spent the weekend, they made 13,000 calls wow. and came back with two more African-Americans. And that told us, we're gonna, uh, we will use some robo-polling now. It's much better than it was, but that kept us away from robo-polling for a while. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I think there's this assumption out there that the African-American community is, is mainly uh, progressive and or liberal. There's a lot of conservative African-Americans, so that actually doesn't surprise me. It sounds like it's higher than what the uh, actual population is, but the fact that there was a decent amount of Republicans, that doesn't seem Oh, you're right to about conservatives and also about uh, Latinos as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who are 40% uh, of Latinos are, are conservative. And in fact, the single fastest growing element among the Latino population are born again Christians. Oh, that's interesting. Evangelicals, yeah. 
did not know that. Okay. So there's a lot that goes into this uh, this business of ours. 100%. So let's uh, shift gears for a second and talk about exit polling, since this seems to be an area that's uh, not only confusing for a lot of folks, but also kind of uh, spawning some conspiracy theories. And I think there's yeah. valid reasons to not trust exit polling. Um, but I want to know what your take is on exit polls. Are they accurate? Well, well first of all, the purpose of exit polling um, is very important for our business because to me, the most important element of exit polling is not the predictive tool, but the demographics that it brings out. Who okay. voted, how they voted, and why they voted the way they did. That tells us an awful lot. And it also gives us a good idea on how to apply weights to our next voter sample. Okay. Yeah. So that's the important part. In yeah. terms of the predictive tool, yeah. there there was a time when you could go to not only go to the bank with exit poll results, you could go to the bank at one o'clock in the afternoon and know who won the election. That's how good and accurate they were. Wow. But needless to say, um, things have changed just like they changed on the telephone. And so now... Uh, you had a real serious breakdown in exit polls in 2004, right. for starters. Turns out there was an overrepresentation of rural uh, precincts, uh, which was inaccurate. And secondly, there were numerous instances where uh, the exit polling companies were not able to get people to work at the polls. And so they would hire down oh. a bit and you'd have situations where okay. um and these were well reported at the time after the 04 elections that you know the person assigned uh was supposed to interview every seventh person right. and the seventh person would come by and it'd be a young mom wheeling a, a stroller and the person would actually say uh oh i didn't want to bother her oh here's a guy Oh. Let me take it. Well, there's your randomness yeah. taken away. The biggest problem, however, um, with, with the exit polls is that a growing number of folks actually vote before the, ele before the right. election day. Yeah. And so now you're not capturing those people on election day uh, unless what you're doing simultaneously is not only... Um, catching them as they're leaving uh, the polling booth, but also you're on the telephone and right. you're asking people and you're, uh, who they voted for and you're blending the samples. Right. So my understanding is that Edison Research is actually doing that. They're taking a phone survey the week before the election to sort of qualify for the mail-in ballots, the absentee ballots, the early voting. I don't know. But here's the thing. They're not very transparent about that. So we're not really sure how they're going about that, what the extent of it is, how how much consideration that's being given in the final numbers. So none of this is being done very transparently, um, and, which I think is part of the problem. And it seems to me that there are two different camps in this area. The first camp is the news organizations that you're talking, the consortiums, right? Whether it's uh, VoteCast or Edison Research. These are all the major news organizations. Their sole reason for funding exit polling is because they want to be able to predict the winners without waiting for a vote tally. That's why they do what they do, yeah. right? And it's also why you'll see on voting day, 
zero percent precincts reporting votes, but they've already um, they're also, they're already telling you who's won, right, based on that exit polling. But the second group is the folks that are more academic, and they want to use exit polling to sort of check against election fraud, as they have done in Europe and other countries, um, in South America, et cetera. And obviously, the intents and purposes here are very different. The motivations are very different. And how you would design the poll would look differently for those two different situations. And right now, I don't think either one of those things is being done well, accurately, or transparently. And I'm going to argue that while it can be done more transparently, I don't think it could be more accurate. Remember, no matter how large the sample you're using in, in an exit poll or a telephone poll, it's still sampling, okay. which means it has a margin of sampling error right. that is based on statistical probability. And then there are other sources okay. of error as well. Anything from the intonation of the voice on the telephone to the person holding the uh, laptop computer outside the poll uh, polling booth. And so you have an imperfect methodology. Now, look, when you get to uh, the orange revolution in the Ukraine, and on one hand, you see years ago, the incumbent uh, winning by 11 points, and the exit poll is showing that the opposition won by 11 points. Okay, Um, let's say made you look, um, but if you take the, the national US presidential elections of uh in in this century um you know the the gore election the Kerry election um you know even 2016 uh with uh with 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 trump and hillary clinton you're really getting into dangerous waters you should not be relying on an exit poll to tell you who won yeah i agree I agree. Well, let's talk about 2004 for a second, because I think this is sort of a a good point, historical point to look at as far as when things start to get, you know, awry. So in 2004, not only did the regular polling show Kerry as as going to be the winner, so did the exit polling. Now, granted, most of the polling, I think, had both candidates, Bush and Kerry, within a margin of error, right? So if you're like... well within a margin of error. Yeah, so we're not sure who's going to win here, right? So that doesn't mean any of these polls are inaccurate if you're in that, within that um, percentage space. Having said that, though... um, it was interesting to me the way things went down in Florida, because Florida is a prime example, I think, of, of where perhaps maybe exit polling could have been used to counter fraud. Now, whether fraud happened or not, minus the hanging chads, right? SCOTUS mm-hmm. stepped in and pretty much put an end to the recount and declared the winner. But this is the this is the sort of situation that's been transpiring in the United States that's sort of birthing all the conspiracy theory. I don't think people trust the system. I don't think they've trust the system from 2004 oh. forward. So any little thing is sort of like paving the way for people to not trust the system um, or to trust the system even less than they already do. So um, what is your thought on that? How do we how do we get that back? That is, you know what, that comes through governance and, you know, that you have to have faith that the person that ultimately assumes office is then trustworthy. Um, and we found that out to be the case certainly during the Obama 
yeah. years, much more so than the George W. Bush and yeah. uh, and now the Donald Trump years. And the reason I say that is not so much to just you know shrug my shoulders, but to to say that um, we're so hyperpolarized right now that um, we we've gotten to the point where we not. Uh, Many of us not only don't trust the results of an election, and that's a growing number of people, yeah. but they're unwilling to recognize the legitimacy who, of who was elected, and that's a real threat to democracy. I agree, and those things are related in a, in a certain sense. They so are. Do you think the exit polls were, were incorrect in 2004, was, or were they correct? Where did they start really going, going askew? Oh, 2004 was a disaster. Yeah. They were worse than most pre-election polls. And I was a victim of that one myself because I released the exit polls to validate uh, what I thought was going to happen. I, I ha uh, personally, I had George W. Bush leading John Kerry, but only 45% thought that he deserved to be reelected. That's where I thought Kerry was going to win, even yeah, though Bush fair. was leading. But the exit polls came out uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon. Kerry was leading by 17 percentage right. points in Pennsylvania, yeah. seven in Ohio. He was leading in Florida by multiple points. None of he was leading in Virginia. None of which was true. Um, and those those go back to some of the points that I made earlier about the uh, uh, wrong choice of precincts. And incidentally, I misspoke. I said there were too many rural precincts. Oh. There were too many suburban. Got you. Okay. Precincts. Yeah, and 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 urban precincts. Hence, a democratic inflation there. Okay. But and I have also worked for. Uh, post-election, uh, actually day of and day after election, for groups that wanted to use my polling as uh, either a validator or invalidator of actual election results, I alerted them to the fact we can do the poll, but, you know, uh, we're going to have a sampling error. Okay. And you can't, you can, you can go to the bank with the results uh, that we give within the margin of sampling error, um, 95 cases out of 100. So there's a, a additional room for error, but yeah. you just can't use them to to support an election. Right, so let me ask you this then, John. Um, in the case of 2004, if you had uh, something that is 17%, that is way beyond the margin of error. Way though. off. You'd, to me, that would indicate election fraud. I mean, I, I could understand saying if you were in this, the margin of error, even up to 5%, 3%, 5%, 4%, 17%, 4 but 17%? I talked to the exit poll people. Yeah. Um, uh, we are not a gracious field. And so <laughs> we didn't like each other. All right, let me put it that way. Um Unlike, say, Hollywood figures or right. lawyers, you know, we don't we don't love each other. But I, I remember they were always on my case. And okay. so I called them. I said, when are you going to release your sample? And they said, well, we can't release our sample. Uh, we have clients. You should understand that. Mm. Well, um, 
you know, there was a, a double standard there. But I mean, look, the the exit poll in Pennsylvania didn't end up with a 17 point lead. Okay. Harry. But at one o'clock in the afternoon with a 17 point lead, there was no way that that was even close to being accurate. Or I don't want to throw your listeners off or yeah. your viewers off, but I've also learned different demographics show up at different times of day. True. Yeah. And so, so I've learned over the years, you know, look at the early exit polls, but you know, take them with a grain of salt. When, when all is said and done, don't use them to predict elections under any circumstances. Okay. Also, I would imagine that at one o'clock in the afternoon is going to be different than eight o'clock at night. That's absolutely the case. Um, but let me ask you this. The, the results that they report, CNN, uh, all the news organizations report, the difference between an 8 p.m. release of numbers, and I'm not talking about vote tallies, I'm talking about exit polls, versus the 10 o'clock is also different. The difference is yeah. this. The 8 o'clock is more of the raw data because they don't have vote tallies uh, yet. But as the night progresses, they start to adjust the exit polls because they weight them to the actual vote tallies. This, to me, sounds like it's muddying the water. What is your thought on that? It muddies the water okay. is what it does. <laughs> 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 right back at you. <laughs> it, um, yeah, so this is complicated. Um, we've always known that that's what takes place. You wait to the election result. Um, and so that that that's not pure sampling, is it? No, it's no. not. It's it's no. it becomes useless to me at this point. Now you're just playing a game, right? Now you're playing a game. Uh, let me also reflect on a, a similar problem that I have, and that is how the coverage is governed Okay. between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock. They've seen results of the exit polls. Right. And so listen, next election, it's maybe very subtle, but someone is being treated as a winner Someone's being treated as a loser. That's right. And, and, uh, or we're posting these results, but remember, not all the votes have been tallied yet because, uh, whisper, whisper, we kind of saw what the exit poll looks like. It used to be much more egregious yeah. than that. Used to be much more. Can I give you an example? Absolutely. Okay. So 1992 in New Hampshire. Um, I wasn't polling New Hampshire in 1992, but in the Republican primary, it was President Bush against Pat Buchanan. And I had learned after the fact that Northern New Hampshire comes out to vote early. It's not, I'm not gonna make a demographic bias here, but these are folks who have more time. Right. They'll come out seven in the morning, eight in the morning, whatever. And so by the time CNN is on the air, five, six o'clock, they're hinting there's a major embarrassment to President Bush. Okay. And this is a much closer race than anyone anticipated. I remember it vividly. And the first round of exit polls were showing President Bush at about 
uh, uh, 45 or so mm -hmm. and Pat Buchanan at about 39 okay. or 49, 39, something like that. The reality is that after five, more moderate Republicans come out and vote. That's when the urban areas are, and that's pretty much how it is in, in a number of states. And by the end of the evening, president got like 64% and Buchanan 36%. Wow. And, but it was still spun and hung in the air as a major embarrassment uh, to President Bush. And there, there are numerous cases of just that. Yeah. Yeah. So your argument pretty much is that the exit polls are wrong and that we should be able to trust our uh, vote system, right? Much more so, yes. Look, are there shenanigans? Absolutely. Yeah. Election commissioners are political appointees. Yes. Secretaries of state who govern elections are political appointees. Um, and I think that's fair. I'm, yeah. Um, these things, a, a, a lot more sunshine is shed on these things when elections are close. Oh, so, I agree. I agree. So I have what I've now kind of called the cheating margin of error, <laughs> which basically is addressing what you're talking about. I don't think anybody's messing with the vote tallies. I do think that there are political things that happen that are a form, a subtle form of voter suppression. I think one of those things, an obvious one is long lines. If you have a three hour yeah. line and people can't stand in that line, that's a form of voter suppression. Yeah. If you do it in areas where you want to suppress a certain demographic, it's going to affect the outcome, right? Um, I think in California, example is provisional ballots, and now we have conditional ballots. Not all of those ballots are, are counted. That's just a fact of the matter. So that could also, like if you're looking at differences in between vote tallies and exit polls, those discarded provisional ballots are absolutely an um, explanatory factor, right? So yes. I think there are, I think there are yeah. legitimate things that can support that. Oh, absolutely. And look, I'll go back to a personal story. Mm -hmm. In 1980, um, I was volunteered for the League of Women Voters. Okay. My job was to just go to one precinct and collect the data off the old machines. They used to have a lever. And then there was right. a tally. And so I was there at 9 p.m. They took the tallies. It was uh, Carter versus Reagan. Yeah. And so they took the tally. And then everybody got up to leave, and one woman came out with a box, cardboard box with a lock on it. And she said, no, wait, we can't go. Uh, we have these absentee ballots we're supposed to count. Yeah. And all the other women said, to hell with the – we've been here since 6 o'clock this morning. I'm going home. Yikes. <laughs> so, yikes. <laughs> I'm going with yikes. Did, yeah, yikes so they left word. them there? Uh, no, they took them. They just didn't count them. That's all. That's Which... terrible. And I think that sort of stuff happens a lot. This is to me an argument as to why election workers should be paid and not volunteers. You know, yes. this is a job. It's important. It's an important job. Um, let me ask you a question about a 2016 uh, study that was done by two a couple of students at Stanford University, where they did a deep dive look at the ex exit polling data between states that were using paper ballots and states that mm. were not using paper ballots. What they found, interestingly enough, is that the states that have 
had a huge difference, discrepancy between the exit polls and the actual vote tallies were the states that were not using paper ballots. The ones with the paper ballots were pretty on par. How, what do you think that's about? You know, go to and an ATM just, machine mention, sometime. This was the uh, primary election, just to clarify, the primary yeah, election. Look, from the most benign, go to an ATM machine sometime and have your finger be close and it registers, yeah. you know? That's one issue, but the whole other issue is the opportunities to hack. Um, you know, frankly, Tina, this was a system that wasn't broke. Yeah. Nothing wrong with paper ballots. I agree. Nothing wrong with those old levers. There was just nothing wrong with them. Yeah. And now to enter, the, you know, to, to place all of uh, this potential for hacking and misreadings, um, yeah. I think is tragic. I do too. No need for it. I do too. You know, that's and I before think, we even get into who owns them. Yeah, you know? it's proprietary software. That was what yeah. I was just going to say. These are corporations and it's proprietary. I don't understand what our government is thinking doing this. I mean, even the optics alone will tell the public not to trust the system, right? Even the optics alone. I, I mean, and then to think, and I'm not conspiratorial in any way, but that a 15-year-old Romanian kid can screw up a state's yeah. election where it's a hell of a lot harder to do that when you're using paper ballots. Yeah, I agree. I think we should 100% have paper ballots. Uh, that is my very strong opinion. Uh, but it was just interesting to me that that's where they were finding the discrepancies. So who knows what that's about, but interesting data. Um, let me ask you about AP's vote cast. So uh, 2018, there was a separation point between the folks, the consortium that was with Edison Research and the AP. The AP left. Their reason is sort of on par with what you think. They were saying that traditional exit polling is just not trustworthy. It doesn't make sense. Um, if you look at the number of folks that are now casting votes be a mail, mail-in ballot, absentee ballot, early voting, it's more than half the electorate. So it just doesn't yeah. make sense to be going to polls. And so they're doing stuff online, sort of like what you're doing. Um, do you think that that's the future here of exit polling? Oh, it has to be. We've all had to change our methodology in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, some are stubborn traditionalists in the in the, the the polling field. I mean, it's like my saying, hey, we've always used landline telephones. Um, right. Even though landline telephone penetration today is where it was in 1956, right? Um, I'm still going to use landline telephoning. It's always worked for me. Well, um, I I don't know much about what or how AP does it, but okay. it's certainly headed in the right direction. I yeah, think. no, it, it makes sense for the reasons you're talking about. I want to uh, walk you through an actual case study just to get your opinion on something. Uh, so recently, the Michigan primary, uh, Democratic primary. So this is what is sort of driving some of the conspiracy theory, I think. So the first initial exit poll that came out was released at 9 p.m. It was on CNN. This is an Edison research uh, exit poll. It showed Biden at 52% and Sanders at 43%, right? So it turns out that the actual vote count ended up with Biden at 52.9%. So that's pretty on par. But Sanders came in at 36.4. That's an absolute epic failure. Now, where these differences were increased, where they were made up on, is very weird to me. It's uh, Bloomberg. It was a category called Other, and it was Warren. So Biden didn't move, but Sanders did. What do you make of that? What would be some of the explanations for that? 
Oh, it could be the question wording. You know, it could be um, that a couple of the minor candidates still on the race had some people that voted for them at the at, at the end. Um, I really can't uh, yeah, speak to saying. that. Okay. Uh, exactly. Um, Do you find it strange? Not particularly. Okay. Um, no, not not necessarily. That thing can sort of happen. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's examples like this that are driving people to say, "What happened to these Sanders votes? Why is Biden the same? Why is is you know what I'm saying? There's there's conversations uh, that are happening sure. around this, which no, I, I, I understand, understand that. Yeah. So anyway, so let me ask you this: um, If you were going to give advice to somebody that is a statistical novice, meaning they don't understand all the terms that they see on these polls, but they do want to understand what they're reading and they want to be have a more informed opinion on what they're reading, what are some pointers that you can give them? Well. Obvious points, okay? Uh, some are repetitive. Uh, number one, this is statistical sampling, but it's very important to get a methodology statement and to see what bases are, are being covered to ensure that it's random to the degree that it's even possible anymore. Probability, you know, does everybody who voted have the same chance of being selected? Right. Um, number two, who was actually out in the field? Yeah. You know, uh, collecting the data, you know, was there a call center? Was it a live call center? Um, uh, you know, thirdly, be wary um, that this is statistical sampling. There is not only room for a margin of sampling error, but also room for, in the best case, any poll, including an exit poll, will have a 95% confidence rate. We did the poll the same way 100 times, 95 cases out of 100, it would turn out the same within that margin of error. But I'm a veteran of having had a couple of those five percenters. Uh, it, can, it happens. Yeah. Uh, and so not necessarily the fault of, of a pollster, just sometimes you maybe draw, um, you draw a bad sample. Mm -hmm. But uh, Question, question seriously, um, and don't, if there's a bookie waiting down by the corner and you've got an exit poll in your hand, stay home. It's and, a Dutch book. <laughs> yeah, just just wait for the actual results to come in. Fair enough. Um, let me ask you about uh, Nate Silver really quickly, because I think what I'm not sure what I think of what he does. I think I believe that he is using some sort of Bayesian probability. I think he's taking information from a lot of different polls and running yeah. them through some sort of Bayesian model where it's, you know, determining the probability of, of what's most likely true. I, so he was really right about Obama, but he was really, really wrong about Clinton. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Look, we poll people. People are imperfect. Statistical methods are imperfect. Um, uh, at one point in time, I was platinum. Get them all right. Get them right within 1%. Yeah. And don't sleep at night because, you know, you're going to be off by 2% someday. Yeah. You're going to be off by 5%. <laughs> it's going yeah. to happen. 
and it's, and it's not the end of the world. We're still good at what we do. Um, Nate, uh, you know, has uh, has made a few mistakes. There, perfection was never a part of this. No. Look at how wonderful NASA is, and we've put human beings on the moon. For God's sakes, we're heading towards Mars. It very exciting. But we had Explorer and we had Challenger, and it happens. At least nobody gets hurt right. from what we do. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, you know, I just I bring it up because I often see him so arrogant about everything he says, and it just and even now he's trying to sort of backpedal on the whole Clinton thing. But randomly, if you if you didn't look at the polling data and you looked and talked to people like actual voters in the world and you heard what they were saying you read what they were posting on social media it was obvious to me that trump was going to win like bernie sanders i think would have probably won that election but i didn't see clinton winning so i just thought it was so strange how far off all the polling was on that it's like who are these folks talking to you know actually i'm going to defend the industry and i didn't poll I did not poll in the closing days of 2016. Okay. So I'm actually going to talk about my colleagues. Okay. Um, the the final um, popular vote nationwide averaged at 2.4. Right. And that's exactly what the margin was, give or take a percentile. But if you looked at the key battleground states. Yeah, they were Hampshire, both in the margin of error. You're right. You're right. New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, North Carolina. If you look two Sundays before 2016 election, Hillary's leading by 9, 10, 11 points, six points in North Carolina. And every day her numbers are going down. Yeah. Every day down a point. um, So that by the Sunday before the election, She's tied in New Hampshire. She's up by three in Pennsylvania. Man, there's a trajectory there. Yeah, I agree. That, that, uh, um, and and that that's a, a lesson to be learned. Look at the trend line. Mm-hmm. Don't always look at the final percentage. It's one thing to be in a two-point lead before election and say, oh, I'm predicting. It's another thing to right. say, but I was leading by 18. What happened? And now I'm leading by two. Well, I'll tell you what happened. You sucked at the end. <laughs> you closed You closed badly. I, you know what, John, I 100% agree with you. Mia culpa, I agree. The, the, the polls in the swing states, which is why it was such a surprise to me that people like Nate Silver were making the claim that she had a whatever 70% chance of winning because it was obvious to me that wasn't true. And you're right. Like if you went to real clear politics and you looked at their polling data, she was absolutely in the margin of error in those swing states. And that's those are the states where it mattered. And as far as an explanation, again, you're right. She was a terrible candidate. Who, okay, let me ask you this. Who doesn't, not to get off subject, but who doesn't go back to a swing state that you lost your own primary in and campaign? Who does this? Well, the same person whose campaign wrote a memo in 2007 that ended with a coronation. um, (laughs) Like, let's get this election over with. We all know what's going to happen. Um, that's, that's the same right. sort of thing. But right. remember, 
36% said that they trusted Hillary to tell the truth. Um, and those numbers didn't change from March until the exit poll. Now, Trump's were 37%. So this was, there was no high moral ground here. No, there, there but was the like fact of the matter is B, yeah. 36%, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That never changed. No. There were no hearts and minds that were persuaded. No. <laughs> no, really, I mean, that election was, was truly an election between two terrible, terrible candidates. It, and I think the American populace was like, I, I'm checking out. I mean, if you look at the per capita numbers of folks that actually voted for president, it was not this giant increase that, that no. the um, people want to decrease. claim that it was. And if you took a drive one mile outside every metropolitan area um, in the United States, and I'm not exaggerating here, Trump, 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 yeah, Trump, Trump, exactly. Trump. No, I know, I know. That's why I was always, that's why the whole Nate Silver thing always threw me. I was like, where is he seeing this? It's so obvious. It's so clear to me that that's not, it's not going to happen, you know? Anyway, so what are your parting thoughts? Do you have any um, pearls of wisdom you want to share with folks on, on polling? Wow. I think I shared pretty much everything I know, but be a good consumer. Yeah. You know, weigh the package, uh, you know, are you getting more packaging than you're getting quality product inside? Um, don't rely on one poll and don't always rely on averages either. You know, try to just be holistic and capture for yourself, you know, what, what, what the, a few of the polls are telling you. Right. right. In, or, in other words, engage in some complex reasoning. You said it better than I did, <laughs> and, much, and much more efficiently, too. <laughs> hey, it's so nice to talk to you. Yes, thank you, John. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. I really appreciate your time. <laughs>